Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is April 13th, 2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We are glad to be here and we pray as we open your word that you will give us wisdom. And although we are focused on a review of all that we covered and the last five months, uh, as impossible as it sounds, we, we, we are attempting to review tonight, Father. So we pray for clarity, uh, wisdom, and hopefully uh, we can keep these things as jewels uh, in our heart as we continue our focus in Romans. So, Father, we pray for those among us, as we know, Father, are, who are grieving at this hour. And we are praying for strength, uh, for comfort from the Word. And, Father, if whatever we can, Father, we pray uh, that this family, and the Myers family, that you up uplift them at this hour uh, as we are uh, preparing for funeral services. So we thank you, Father, for the life of Jewel as she was with us from the beginning. And we, we thank you for her diligence and her humility as she helped us build Word is Truth Christian Church. So we also ask uh, for prayers for um, not only the family, but all the relatives and friends that will soon be traveling. We're asking for traveling mercies. All this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. So we are, as you know, in the study of Romans, and we last week we had... Uh, closing verses of Romans chapter 10. So we are now uh, going to do a, a review of Romans 10 just to talk about the highlights that we covered and prepare ourselves for the next chapter. You should know that if you missed anything in Romans, you can find that in recording on the, on the web at wordistruth.com. Dot com is uh, where we try to keep all of our documents and and not only documents but our word uh, I'm, I'm sorry our audio files as well and we will continue to do our best to keep that updated so that's word is truth.com you should be able to see the Roman series as well uh, or I meant to say the the, the series that we have on John. I think we're in John 17 on Sundays and uh, Romans on Wednesdays. So as we continue, um, we'll try to have a little question and answer at the end if there is time left, but we are going to focus our attention now uh, on the review. So you should have notes as well. Um, in your notes, let us review Romans 10. As we close out Romans 10, it is appropriate to take some time
to remember some of the highlights for this chapter. We gain some valuable insights here, especially around Israel's failures. I am convinced that many are infatuated with Israel today and do not realize their failure. Paul's detailed look at Israel should help us see exactly why they failed and also help us answer our unique call for the church. So we'll just jump right in. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but uh, I think it should go pretty quickly. Let's, let's talk about Romans 10. So the first point here is Romans 10, 1 through 4. So why don't I read those verses? Romans 10, 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I, test, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So that's Romans 10, 1 through 4. And uh, the first point in, in our summary here is just straight talk about Israel. I don't think you're going to find a more direct passage about Israel's failings other than what Paul just said right there in 10, 1 through 4. Not only does it set the tone for what we're going to talk about, what he's going to share with us through the inspiration of the Spirit, but it should help us understand the context, which is most important here. We do not want to just take verses out of context. So I would say what is rewarding about us taking our time and going verse by verse, phrase by phrase, is that we do have humility toward the context. That's important. And if, you, if you're not sure why that's so important, you will see that many people have taken single verses and just made whole doctrines out of just single verses. So we're, this straight talk about Israel tells us that Israel is lost. And this goes back to a contention that Israel had all the way in chapter 8. After God used those verses through Paul, for those God foreknew, he also predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he uh, predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. All right, those verses are about us, the church. Right after he finishes that, he, he deals with, well, who will say something against this? Who would have a problem with this? He mentions that, and we know who. It is Israel who would have a problem with that, which is why Paul made the point in the first place that Israel um, objects to the church's calling. Now, you could understand to some degree uh, why Israel would have some problems with this. They were very exclusive and uh, 
when it came to the Mosaic Law and as far as their uh, dealings with Gentiles, they were very separatist in how they functioned. Uh, their foreign policy was stay away from Gentiles when their calling was to go out and be a priest nation to the world, to let the world know of God and his grace salvation. What were his standards? What did God require? And obviously uh, they failed, and I have to say miserably. But it's not over, as we know, for Israel. And I'm going to talk about their failure a lot here, because Paul does. But I want to also remind you at the same time <clears throat> that Israel does succeed in the end. So, yes, they failed. But yes, they will also succeed as we know the rest of the story in Revelation. So, it's straight talk about Israel. And Romans 9 is another chapter that deals with Israel uh, protesting that they should be the called and not the church. Why should we be in the body of Israel? Why do we have to do away with the Mosaic Law? We, and they don't believe in Christ is on top of all of that. So they are treading on dangerous ground. The fact that God chose us to be in Christ before time began is the Father's eternal purpose. And this is the reason why all things exist is because of this purpose. So you can't tell God the Father that he can't have his eternal purpose, that this is something that he must do is somehow favor Israel when Israel is nothing but disobedient, stubborn, uh, and, and just refused to allow God to, uh, to lead them and to provide for them and to make them into what God wanted was this great nation that he would use to evangelize the world. Israel refused. So chapter 9 deals with that. And nothing at the end of chapter, I'm sorry, uh, not chapter 9. I was just thinking of Romans 8 where he talks about at the end, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. But chapter 9 is another one of those chapters that is misconstrued and take verses taken out of context. And we went through that verse by verse. Uh, it took us about six months, but I, I, I hope if you have questions about nine, you go back to those notes and recordings that we undertook. And uh, we took our time and hopefully we did a job that was thorough and uh, clear. Ho hopefully it does speak to what uh, Romans 9 and through the context tells us. So by the time we get to 10, Paul just comes right out and says it. Israel needs <coughs> salvation. That That's important for Israel, that they might be saved. And then he details like, oh, not only that, they had problems. And here it is. Let me tell you what their problems are. And so I love those first four chapters of the first four verses in chapter 10, because they not only do they set the tone, they help us understand what was the root cause of their issue here. 
So point B in our notes, this is 1B. So Israel did not like the church being called and voiced their concern to God. So Israel really, um, is they were threatening to God. Like, how dare you change? And Which was arrogant on their part. And they better watch it. Because God will certainly fulfill his purposes. And uh, Israel, not only do they not have the right to question God's sovereignty in this issue, but they refuse to even believe in God's Christ, right? the Savior of the world. They refuse to put their trust in him. And not only we're to, we're not talking just about uh, Israel in the first century, we're talking about Israel in past centuries as well, which is why we see their failure. And we'll get to that later in our notes. So point C, uh, Romans 9 is Paul's answer to their objections. Paul knows this firsthand. Why does Paul know how they think? It's because he is homegrown in terms of Judaism. And Paul gives his resume in Philippians 3, uh, 3 through 11. He tells us why uh, he has room to, you know, uh, to boast about the flesh. I think I might read some of that. Philippians chapter 3, 3 through 11. We'll quickly go over here. So... Paul says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve by the, his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now that's how he used circumcision, uh, which is a physical thing, and he turned that around to show how this is who God really, uh, this is how we worship God. It's not just by being circumcised, it's by following the dictates and leadership of God the Holy Spirit. Then he, he goes into this whole thing. Though I myself have, has, have reasons for such confidence. And this is what? Confidence in the flesh. Now this tells you something. Israel was trying to obey God in the flesh. And we can't serve God just by our, our flesh, which is reference to our sin nature. I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he's telling you why. He was proud of who he was in the flesh. When really, God is saying, you must be born again. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were my gains, to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but a but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, 
to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So he's, <laughs> not that I've already obtained all this. Well, we didn't get there, but just to note, Paul had a Jewish resume. Paul understood the mind of the Jew since he was one. And he thought that he knew exactly what they needed. And he had great zeal. In fact, there's a couple of verses where he says, I wish I could be cursed from Christ for the sake of my people, Israel. He wanted their salvation. Uh, he knew salvation was right there for them. So, so point uh, D in our notes, Paul prayed for Israel's salvation. He was not an enemy of Israel. This is something to note that when you think about the heart of Paul, uh, we know his heart. We know his heart of love for his people, the Jew. Right? Uh, although the people that he loved so much hated him with vigor. Uh, they just thought he was a traitor. And the worst death would be appropriate for Paul as far as they were concerned. So this is why, um, you know, the, the, ironic, uh, the ironic um, nature of how Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, but yet <laughs> he was a Pharisee, and he understood what it was to be a Pharisee, and uh, he understood the mind of a Jew. But who did he send to the Jews? Well, he said Peter and others. They, it's appropriate for them to go to the Jews, but not for Paul. Paul, we want you to go to the Gentiles. It's quite interesting how that all worked out. So, point E in our notes. Hmm, I say, hmm, the issue of righteousness. And that's Romans 1.17. And if you haven't really focused your attention on Romans when it comes to another aspect of salvation, you miss something. Because John is interesting. John doesn't really talk about righteousness that much if he does at all. That's not the point. John is all about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the fact that Jesus Christ did all the uh, work necessary. He demonstrated who he was as the Messiah by signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, they attest to the fact of who he is. And we're not just talking about he healed people from headaches or back aches. I mean, this healing was supernatural in nature. And he, he, there was no uh, lack of uh, power on Jesus' part, not only to heal, but to calm the wind and the waves. Uh, all kinds of miracles, uh, walking on water. Uh, he demonstrated his power over nature. Sickness and disease, you can go on. So, But there was something in Romans chapter 1 that Paul brings out. And here it is. For, for the classic verse is in 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And this is it, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous 
will live by faith. Now, it would have to be by, by faith, just to note, because if salvation is by grace through faith, and all you have to do is believe, right? then how could obtaining righteousness be by works? It is, Paul declares, it is by faith as well, and he gives thorough explanation about how we become righteous before God. He picks up those Old Testament passages that talk about there is none righteous, and not even one, and they're all have turned away, and none are good, not even one. And he goes through that whole thing and tells us, and by keeping the law, no flesh, no person will be righteous in God's sight. So he is very clear about what, how we are not to obtain righteousness and how we are to obtain righteousness. So that once this part of Paul's uh, quest to help the Jew is really because the Jews thought that they could be righteous before God by keeping the law, by ab abiding, and you know even though they failed, it was you know in their mind uh, God God would grade on the curve. You know they everybody failed. They thought perfection was out of the question, so they knew. Uh, they couldn't be righteous by the law, but they felt God was going to give them some exceptions because they were called, they were Israel, they were chosen. Not so. Romans 3, 9, for are we any better? He's talking about we Jews. No, God has uh, made it clear. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. So there's no exceptions in terms of salvation for the Jew. None. They have to come through the same door as we do, as everybody did. The Gentiles do. They have to be saved. And yet, they were trying to obtain righteousness before God. So for them, it was about righteousness, which is why their discussion was about the law. Now, when it came to Gentiles, hey, just believe. Believe in Christ. Now, once I heard you heard the bad news and you understand the good news, what's your response? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, that's really the response for all mankind, as we're going to see later. But the Jews were focused on the law. So Paul took it upon himself to explain righteousness. I shouldn't say he took it upon himself. It was God, the Holy Spirit's. Uh, putting this on Paul so that it would be clear beyond any question. So point number two in our notes goes from Romans 10, 5 through 8. Let's deal with that. Let me read it. <clears throat> Romans 10, 5 through 8 says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and, it is, and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So, looking at <clears throat> those few verses there, let's see what some of the highlights that I gleaned. The first, first point is, 
These are analogies that speak to the Jew. Now that's just one thing. When Paul brings these analogies from the Old Testament, this is language that will make Jews sit up and take notice. Well, the Gentiles could hear, oh, let me go back to what Moses said. Well, they, that might not be a big deal for Gentiles. But for Jews, oh, you got their attention when you talk about Moses or Abraham or any of the patriarchs. They're listening to see what you're going to say about it. Because they think they know something about this. So this is right up their alley. So this is where Paul speaks to them. He speaks directly to the point about the law. Now, we already showed uh, through how Paul really was dealing with uh, what God had told the Jews and how they would be able to stay in the land if they were obedient and so forth. But remember, they put the cart before the horse, right? The horse is believing. The cart is service or answering their call for what God held them responsible to. So God wasn't saying that you just neglect believing. Believing was always a part of Israel's acceptance with God. Just like it says, there's none righteous, not even one. So what we find is that those analogies were to get the Jews' attention, and I'm sure it did. But then he, he weaves in what he wanted to tell them. And that's in point B. So righteousness of the law in those verses is contrasted with the righteousness by faith. So Paul is speaking to the Jew and he's talking about something that's very familiar to them, which is keeping the law. And he's saying, yeah, you, you should have uh, the righteousness by faith. That's what we've been teaching, which is opposite. It's antithetical when we think about righteousness of the law versus righteousness by faith. Righteousness of the law is really a misnomer because nobody can be righteous by the works of the law. That's Romans 3, 19 and 20. No person, as we already said. So righteousness by faith, he goes on to teach how we can be righteous. And really, you would think the Jews would pay attention to this because it is the very thing that they craved is the very thing that they wanted is this right standing before God to be justified. And they thought the law could do that for them. It could not. So point C and our point two C, there is nothing for us to do. And this is further brought out when it talks about are we to go are we gonna you know descend into the deep? That means bring Christ up from the dead. Or, or, or to bring Christ down from heaven, who will ascend to heaven, right? Those verses are really say, just like the law was there. It was everywhere for Israel. God, it, it wasn't some place where they had to figure out or they didn't know what the law was. And, and, and that's why they didn't keep it because they didn't keep the law. And so, so how, how close was the law to them? It was everywhere they turned was the law. Um, this was... Prevalent. So God used that analogy to say how salvation is there. Israel didn't have to work to keep the law. Uh, I'm sorry, to be righteous. They didn't have to work to be righteous. It was all done for them. In fact, in point C, there's nothing 
for us to do. God did all the heavy lifting. You can't go to heaven and bring Christ down. You can't go below and bring Christ up from the dead. That's nothing we can do. It's out of our hands. And But God already did it for us. So the only thing that's left for us is to respond to what God did by faith. That's Romans 10, 5 through 8. Right? That's what it, he's trying to tell us in that analogy. So point D is important. But what does it say? And this is just a quote of the actual verse, uh, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So that's the analogy that he gave for the law. That's how close it was to them. It's literally in your heart. You know it. And it's in your mouth. You, you could speak it. That is the message concerning faith we proclaim. So, so using that analogy, he's trying to weave in to help the Jew understand that salvation by uh, grace is the way, right? It is the message we proclaim. Uh, and it's all about faith. And you and by receiving, by having that faith in the in the, in God's message then you automatically receive the very righteousness that you are clamoring for. You get it free. It is by grace. It is free to everyone. Uh, and it, we didn't get the, I didn't pull in these verses, but just to note, so when you look at Romans 3, the latter, after the ones I quoted, which is 19 and 20, what you will find is uh, that he tells you that it's by faith. Righteousness is by faith, and it is free to all, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Now, Gentiles didn't have the law, so if a Gentile could believe or have faith in Christ and be just as justified as the Jew, and the Gentile didn't have the law, well, it's clear that righteousness is not by keeping the law. It, it, there's no other way to see that. Either, either Jews are going to be incensed at that comment or they're going to be able to understand that righteousness is by faith. And this is an important verse because now we're getting ready to go into uh, the next section, which is 9 and 10. This is point number 3 in our notes. 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess, uh, that you profess your faith and are saved. So let's look at these two verses. Now first, we should know there are classic verses used by so many today. And when I say classic verses, I mean, this is it. People, when it comes to salvation, uh, they might talk a little bit, but when it comes right down to it, they say, hey, just just do these what these verses say, and you're saved. So I just want to talk about that for just a little bit. And really, they are these verses are a continuation of the analogy given to say how close salvation is to all of us. And notice uh, what is used in Romans 10, 9, and 10 is what he set out in these previous verses. 
Uh, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. Uh, that is the message uh, concerning faith that we proclaim. It is near us, meaning he gave the Jews analogy to say how the law was close to them. Everybody knew it. They didn't have to search for it. They didn't have to go across the sea or anywhere to get to the law. It was close to them. And it was even in their mouth. It was in their, They knew it because it was all about the law that they had as far as the nation of Israel was concerned. Law was a way of life for Israel. But it just wasn't salvation for them. It could not perform uh, salvation for them. So, so, it went, so this mouth and heart is really a play to talk about how near salvation is. Right? The Holy Spirit teaches us about salvation and uh, you know, gets us to the point where we understand the issues about what the message is so that we now know that we have an obligation before God to believe or to not believe. And it, it would be on us to choose to believe in Christ or, or to reject him. Those are the options. And there are consequences with each option. Believe, you will have eternal life. You will be born again. You will have righteousness. You, you, will, um, you will be saved. If you reject him, you will not see life and the wrath of God remains on you. And this is the reason why people are lost. It's because they refuse to believe in the only begotten Son of God. So this, this, is, uh, this is an important verse. However, it is a play on words to talk about how near it is and uses mouth and heart. Unfortunately, what do people do with this verse today? They have turned this verse into a magic word thing. But we're going to get to that in a second. Point B in our notes. This is 3B. Declaring with the mouth that Jesus is Lord is a conclusion of the Holy Spirit bringing someone to the faith in, to faith in Christ. Now this is an, an important verse. Because the verse tells us if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Well, when I go to 1 Corinthians... 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, it says this, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Now notice, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So while we're looking at these verses, when it says, if you just say this, Jesus is Lord, obviously, the Holy Spirit is involved here. You cannot just say, oh, well, so if you just say these magic words, then, um, then you'll be saved. And this is how a lot of churches teach the gospel. They'll just say, well, oh, the gospel is very simple. All you got to do is, and they go, quote, Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's it. They don't talk about it much. They don't go into detail the details of what it means, uh, what is the atonement, what is all that, they don't deal with. So, point C, there is no say the magic words and you get salvation. That does not exist. And this verse is certainly not teaching this. Yeah, that you can't, there is behind the scenes things going on 
when a person believes in Christ. We already showed that by uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The, the Holy Spirit is involved, and no one gets, gets saved without God the Holy Spirit being involved. No one. He's the one that witnesses to the heart. We may speak the words, but he takes those words and applies them to the heart. And even if we don't speak the words, the Holy Spirit is there doing his work in a person, trying to bring them the light of the good news. That is God, the Holy Spirit's job as he is here in the world. So, as we say in point, point D here, where is the bad news in all of this? In other words, if we only needed these two verses that talk about declaring Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart and professing with your mouth and with the heart man believes the righteousness with the mouth profession is made unto salvation. If you only had just that, you wouldn't know the gospel. You wouldn't even know uh, why you need salvation in the first place. You wouldn't have a context around that. And what about the atonement? Where is that? That Christ died for the sins of the world. And what does that mean, the fact that he died for the sins of the world, the whole world? Right? And this is where uh, saying the magic words just does not cut it. So much is left out of these verses. Much. And they don't talk about Adam. They don't talk about the whole thing of why we need salvation. <clears throat> they don't talk about right... They don't talk about uh, the righteousness, right? Where, where's righteousness in these particular verses? He just made an issue of righteousness in Romans 10, 1 through 4. Even the other 5 through 8 was about righteousness. But um, here in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he does talk about man believes unto righteousness. And this is in verse 10, right? Where does it say it? For with the mouth you are, are justified. So, to be justified means you are declared righteous. So, and with the mouth you profess and with your faith and are saved. So, what about being born again? What about all the other stuff? That's the point in this particular verse. So, that was point, so we're in three now. That was D. E now, instead of gimmicks, teach the bad news and the good news Thoroughly. Now, why do I say this? I mean, this, it, there's a lot of uh, churches out there, and they spend a lot of time on situational things. Uh, they talk about uh, much about, you know, how you should get along in relationships, how we should love one another, and all of those things may be valid, but what I find is a lack of teaching what the actual word is saying according to the context. So when people uh, look at the word, it's foreign to them. Our, one of our goals here is to make sure that people know the word. And the word is important. And part of, I know we, we discussed this, is your knowledge of God and who God is should be based on his word. If it is not based on his own revelation about himself, and we're just not talking about picking verses out of the context and saying this is what we hold, right? But according to the context, if you know you don't know what the Word is teaching, then you don't know God. So we take our time. We focus our attention on what is the Word actually saying and do our best to 
thoroughly. So if it, if if salvation is so important, it is the reason why the uh, right is Israel failed in the first place. When we look at their failures, colossal failures, and we say, "Man, that was terrible! How could they do that? How could?" Well, they weren't saved. They weren't born again. And when Nicodemus came to Christ, and he's high in the religious leadership of Israel, Christ told him, you must be born again. He didn't say, you know, let me teach about being born again uh, and how important it is to be born again. No, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It was personal. So this man who was in the Sanhedrin, who was probably very well respected in Israel as far as the leader and their knowing the law and knowing the way of Israel needed salvation. This takes us back to just the first four verses. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. They were lost. And that's that's first things first. That's what we want to do when it comes to salvation. Don't tell me about how you service to God. Don't tell me about how you love everybody and all this other stuff. Let's talk about salvation. And I say thoroughly, it needs to be taught, the bad news. How do we get in the position we're in in the first place? Why do we need salvation? Why can't we work for our salvation? Why did God uh, make salvation by grace through faith? And it is a gift, not of ourselves. Why is all of it, right, knowing that, Thoroughly is how God the Holy Spirit works in us to bring us to the point where we can say Jesus is Lord and put our trust in him. Those things are important. So instead of all this talk about relationships and all this political stuff going on in churches or who slapped who at the Oscars or, or, or what's going on in the world, we need to talk about how to be saved. Churches need to teach that thoroughly. And that's the point here. And let's go to, we're going to move on in our notes. I know it's already nine, so we got we got to really go, go try to see what we can do with the rest of this. So Romans 10, point number four, 11 through 13. And let me read it. So it says, as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and all and all who richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right, and then I think I did verse 17, yeah. 2 verse 17. Uh, calls on him will be saved. How then... Oh, wait a minute. No, that's it only goes to 13. I'm sorry. So let's stop. 13, which we read. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is the universal, universal nature of salvation. It was never just for Israel. This is the first point, right? Um, God is saying in these verses through the Apostle Paul that salvation is for everyone. It applies to everyone. Now, we know all of this to be so, but Israel did not. Israel thought that they were the only ones who could be saved. They looked at the Gentiles as, well, 
everybody is, you know, these filthy Gentiles. Right? Let's stay away from them. Yeah, we're not, it's the last thing we want to do is tell them about some good news. And why couldn't they do this? It's because they themselves hadn't accepted the good news. We're not just talking about a pattern of resistance when Christ came. We're talking about patterns of resistance even through their ancestors and their history. They resisted the spiritual nature of the gospel and what the, its place uh, in priority in the life so that the person would be able to serve. They resisted it. And they just went straight to the law. And they said, oh, we can keep the law. That, that we can do. So we'll, we'll just take that. And God, you will respect our service so that you will justify us. And God said, no, there's none righteous. Not even one. No one will be justified by the works of the law. No one. So that is what... God dealt with, and but here in these verses, he's telling about the universal nature of the gospel. Point B, again, calling on the name of the Lord is a result, not a means, right? So how do we, when we look at that, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, we could teach that. Okay, the gospel is whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that a true statement? Yeah, it is. But there's, that's a result, not the means. You must have heard the gospel. You have to heard the reason why you needed to be saved in the first place, why you're lost. And then you heard the solution that God provides. And then what did you do? You called on the name of the Lord. That's a synonym for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Now, in Romans 7, 24 and 25, Paul goes through this, talks about, I, must, I was a slave, to sold as a slave and to sin. He went through this whole thing in Romans chapter 7. The good I try to do, I can't do. Every time I try to do good, evil is present with me and so forth. He was talking about the struggle that he had when he was an unbeliever and a Pharisee and trying to keep the law and all of that. And he just couldn't. No matter what he tried, he couldn't fulfill it. So at the end of it all, he's like, what a wretched man I am. He cries out. And who will deliver me from this body of death? So notice, you see that there was background work before Paul just jumps up and says, I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He talks about that. And he understood. Right? First, God brought him to the place where he needed salvation. He understood that he needed salvation. We call that the bad news. And it's appropriate to hear the bad news. Because you know what? If there's no bad news, there would be no good news at all. Good news solves what the bad news started. So so just let's keep going because we're running. Our time is short. So um, point C, Jew or Gentile, it is, it is the same salvation. And God's standards do not change. So... God has certain standards in salvation, and he can't just say, oh, well, for, this, for the Jews, there's going to be one standard, and for Gentiles, another. No, there's just one salvation. If a Jew preaches like they were supposed to, be, if they were a light to the Gentiles, like they were supposed to be, then the Gentile would get the same salvation the Jew had. 
And there's no like two levels of salvation. One oh, for the Jew and, and they're way up here on God's scale of value. And then the Gentile is way down. That's not the case. It's the same salvation for all who believe. Or should I just say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the, that is the, the thought here. And then point D, a little word play. Right, so when it says, uh, how do you call on the name of the Lord, right? But if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, how do you do that? And then it, what somebody just said, well, you just do Romans 10, 9, and 10. And where is believing in the heart here, right? There's no, not, no thought about believing in your heart, like it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Point, point is, I'm making this verse is not the means of salvation. It is a result. It is our response to the Holy Spirit, having revealed what the issues of the gospel are. And this is our response. It is faith. Faith in Christ. So, point number five. Let's keep going. I think we got this. We're going to be able to finish. So, point number five is Romans 10, 14 through 17. Let's look at it. Let's read it. Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So then verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So keep in mind, this is only a, a, the highlights. There's much more as we've covered these verses, as you should see in your notes. But I, I, there's no way we can talk about all the points, but I just tried to glean some. So this one, um, this is 14 through 17. The first thought is Israel failed to bring God's salvation to the nations. And that's the nations, Gentile, same thing. So just to note, Israel did not accomplish their mission, especially in the Old Testament. But as we remind, I want to remind everyone, Israel's failure is not complete, right? It, certainly they failed, and we are seeing why they failed. But Israel will succeed in the end, so don't get too high and haughty about, well, you know, Israel failed. <laughs> they are failures. Yeah, yeah, they did fail. However, they will fulfill God's purpose, their call, eventually. We have, we have knowledge of this from looking at the end of the book. Right, we can go to the end and see how uh, God does uh, show that Israel does succeed in their calling. And marvelously, shall I add. Point B, if God depended on Israel to communicate the gospel... Right? This is what he's saying. He says, Israel, you had a call, and you did not fulfill that call. If I was, if I was going to depend on you and you alone, he uses the word how five times. And so we should note how he uses that. And so let's look at some of the uses of it in 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed. And that is Gentiles. If, if you didn't go and give them the gospel like you were supposed to, how can they call on the Lord so that they can be saved? And 
how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? So Israel, you are supposed to go out and tell them who, who uh, to trust in, and you failed. So how can they, the Gentiles, hear? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Well, Israel, that's your job, to go out and preach the, the good news to the nations, right? And, and, and you, uh, when God told Abraham when he was establishing the nation Israel, he says, and you, and you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that's going to be a true statement. And we'll see later how that works out. So, so those hows. And, then, and how can they preach? How can any, this is verse 15 now. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? So again, God is the one who called Israel and sent them to the nations. Now, of course, they, don't, they didn't go. So they didn't fulfill their call. So how can they preach? They certainly can't. And it just regresses all the way back to, yeah, the Gentiles can't believe. But we know that God is not depending on Israel alone for uh, the gospel, to, to disseminate the gospel, to communicate the gospel. He, there's, this is all to help Israel understand their failure. So it is... Certainly not to say God depended on Israel, and because of Israel, many people are lost because of you. Then no, because God can reach people apart from Israel. That is what we. So point C, it is a blessing and honor to be used by God in this world. That's the thought. I mean, God doesn't have to use us. He does use us, but He doesn't have to. So why does he use us? Because it is our blessing. It is, it is an honor for us to be partnered with God in the work of the gospel. That is, we receive a blessing in this. Paul says this as much. He says this in Romans uh, 10. Uh, first, not Romans, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He deals with this. 9 and 10. He, he, couple. He, he's clear on how just being a part of uh, the process where one man plants, another man waters. That's 1 Corinthians 3. And then, but it is God who gives the increase. The fact that he would partner with us, that we would be, in this age, ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, that's a blessing for us. And if we discharge our stewardship properly, then the Bible says we'll even receive a reward for service. So it is a blessing. It is an honor to be used of God. And, and not only that, God has blessed and equipped Israel for the task. And they failed in the Old Testament. They, they just failed. And that's unfortunately what we have to deal with in this chapter. Paul is saying they're lost, right? They and, and now we're getting ready to go into 11, where he really draws this out even more. And we'll, we'll get to that uh, in the coming weeks. Point D, their failure uh, for us to ponder, right? So this is verse 16 and 17. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. And this is, this is huge in this chapter. Well, we know that from um, 1 through 4, but for him to say it in this context is large. And then he even quotes Isaiah, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard 
through the word about Christ. So these two verses tell us that Israel of old, even though they didn't know who Jesus Christ was, it was upon them. God had given them the gospel. He, he had let them know that they had to have faith in Christ to come, even though he hadn't come yet. Uh, they called him the Messiah to come, but they had their trust. They were supposed to have their trust in him for their soul salvation. It was depicted through animal sacrifices, a life for a life, and all of that throughout all of their um, their Jewish customs and holidays and Sabbath days. Uh, it was it was taught through and through, and Israel failed to believe. So that's just something to ponder. You know, we've talked about a lot. Uh, uh, how could, did they believe? Are we sure? And that's coming up in the last verses, 18 through 21. But it made us think quite a lot about uh, what about people in countries where, you know, apparently missionaries cannot reach and all of that. How do we, how does God resolve that? And we uh, were able to go through those verses and, and, you know, go back to the notes, take a look and familiarize yourself with how God reaches the unreachable, we should say. What what does God do when people are remote? And how does all that work? And, and believe me, a lot of people think God is unfair because I say, oh, we're in this country, you know, we Christ is talked about all the time. What about in the Islamic countries? And so all those questions we dealt with in Romans chapter 10, and, and I would say in detail. If you don't know the answer to those questions, you should make sure you're familiar with this. So let's go to the last few verses, and I think we just about got it, Romans 10, 18 through 21. Did they hear? Oh, let me read it first. But I ask, did Israel not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into the, all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So let's just try to understand what, there's a lot to unpack in those verses, but I just give you a few points here. Did they hear? Yes. Did they understand? Yes. That's understood. This is what Paul is saying. They did understand. This is not something inscrutable or uh, something they just couldn't just really under, understand because it, it was just over their head. It was clear. Paul makes the point. And even Isaiah, when he quotes from Isaiah, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And so Isaiah, if you read Isaiah 53, it is almost like reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. I mean, the descriptions 
of who Jesus is in some ways are even more, more clear and direct, especially as we are able to look back on all of this and see how Christ fulfilled all of the prophecies in the Old Testament about him. It is, as we say, a slam dunk when we look at Isaiah uh, 53. It's just so clear. It's one of those uh, chapters that deal with the Messiah in detail. So did they hear? Absolutely they heard. Yes, they did. Did they understand what they heard? Yes, but they made a decision. And just like Acts chapter 7, 51, as they were getting ready to kill Stephen, uh, he said, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Just as your forefathers did, so do you. And as after he said it, they couldn't, listen to him anymore. They were incensed by what things he was saying. It says they shouted and they put their hands over their ears. They didn't want to hear another word and they stoned him to death. So it's horrible. So point B, Paul cites examples of Israel's failures and God's response of discipline for the nation. So in other words, yeah, Israel, they failed miserably. God dealt with them he checked them on their failures. They, one verse we read last week, they openly, in God's face, failed. Uh, they went into the groves where uh, Gentiles, pagan gods were, idols, and they bowed down before these idols. And there was all kinds of decadent things done before these idols. They burned incense to these idols. And the God says, you did that in my face. Terrible some of the things that they did. And, and as I pointed out last week, Israel was supposed to be a peculiar nation, a special nation before God. And they were supposed to influence the other nations around them. Well, the reverse happened. Instead of them being an influence on other nations, other nations were an influence upon them. They worshiped other gods. They, I mean, it got to the point where God says, I gotta discipline you. I gotta spank you as it were and he did many times through Israel so uh, so point C God is long suffering patient with Israel even now so now no the gospel is still out there for any person who is of, of Jewish descent to believe in Christ they could just whatever their past was whatever their history whatever their ancestors did or said uh, in the past, they can put their faith in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. They will be in this age, which is in the church, where we are in a body together with Jews and Gentiles. They will not be an Israelite anymore. There is no Jew in the church. There is no Gentile. We are one in Christ. So, But they will be saved. The very thing they wanted was to be justified before God. They will have that free of charge. So God is long-suffering and patient. Look at Romans 11, 28 and 29. Let's just look at that verse. It does talk about patience. 11, 28. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, that's Israel, are enemies. This, well, I'm sorry. I could go back and read the, the previous, but for the sake of time, you read the previous verses because... Uh, God does not want us to be ignorant and so forth. But let's 
at verse 28 and 29. As far as the gospel is concerned, this is the gospel. This is what saves people, right? The good news. They are enemies for your sake. He's talking to the church. So Israel is against the gospel. And this is this is a tough thing here. And they put people to death. Well, well let's, let's just say it straight. They killed Jesus because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. So they are enemies for your sake. And they killed and hunted and killed many of the apostles and had them killed. But as far as it, the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So what, what that is to say, just briefly in our context here, God is long-suffering. All day long, I held out my hand to an obstinate, disobedient people. God is, he's so patient. Even now, as I said, or during this age, when Israel is said to be our enemies because they refuse to believe the gospel, God still holds out his hand to them. Just believe. And Paul says, did God cast away his people which he foreknew? God forbid. He says, I am a believer right now. This is where we get next, next week or so when we start Romans 11.1. 1. So Israel, no, it's not over. Now, if it was up to us, if Israel did all that they did and and it was our judgment of how we should handle them, I'm sure we wouldn't be talking about Israel anymore. It'd be over for Israel for all that they've done. And then they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ on top of all of that. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. And they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, treated him, beat him, all of that, I'm sure we would have a different opinion. But God, thank God, that we have a God that is good. He's a good God. He's patient. And he's long, he, he, he suffers long. In other words, he, he didn't get what he wanted from Israel. Not yet. But they will fulfill his purposes. Point D, to execute God's call, Israel neglected the spiritual nature of their own salvation. And that's that was bad, the fact that they neglected, uh, the fact that they needed salvation. And they looked past that and just thought, okay, we're favored of God because of all that he has done for us. So therefore, we must have salvation uh, by default. And that was wrong. They neglected it, even though God insisted and they resisted. So point E, they substituted the Mosaic law for faith in Christ. And that's what happened. Even if I read 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 16, we're almost done. 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 16 illustrates this. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. That's the old covenant. It was passing away. It was only supposed to be temporary in the first place. But they wanted to perpetuate it. Point uh, 14. Uh, but their minds were made dull. For, this, for, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because 
Only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So this is typical of where Paul says, even to this day, this is the case, Israel. Point F. So they put the cart of service before their horse of faith. This is just cart before the horse. They just felt like, well, if we just keep the law. And they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't do it anyway because God needed them to be saved before they could even be qualified to keep the law. So that leads us to point G. They needed salvation. They themselves needed salvation. So how could they go out and be a blessing to the nations? They could not. It was impossible. So Romans 10 taught us a lot. I would say if you're unfamiliar or you weren't um, really able to catch all the lessons there, uh, we have them, uh, wordistruth.com, or, and now you have the notes as well for the whole of Romans chapter 10, just like we did 9 and the other chapters. So I'm pleased to be able to, to just share what I'm thinking with you so that whatever questions you have, whatever thoughts you have, and it doesn't look like we're going to be able to have time for Q&A tonight. Uh, but we have completed this review, and we've completed Romans chapter 10. So I'm glad to be able to uh, move on to 11. I feel we've covered some important ground in 10. But boy, in 11, Paul continues the argument from different perspectives. He just gets right down to it. So if, if you have a Gentile background, as I do, then, and you can understand this thing from the bottom up, from the standpoint of Israel, then you understand Paul's point here. It, this is a benefit for us to know how important these things are. And then we don't have the same call as Israel. Our purpose here is not the same purpose God had for Israel. So not only do we need to talk about salvation, we need to talk about what is our call and this whole mystery where God has revealed his heart in this age. And now we are the, the heralds of those, uh, of that information to the world. It's not, we're not just talking about the gospel. I love that verse in 1 Timothy 2 where it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So we're going to have to quit at that. We're going to continue on Sunday in John 17. So stay tuned. We'll be there, uh, God willing. And we're going to end tonight. Sorry, we don't have time for Q&A, but we will um, have Q&A on Sunday. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for... Uh, the clarity that you brought in Romans chapter 10. Uh, we appreciate this, uh, the preservation of your word, so that it's 
perspicuous to us, even now, as we are in 2022, we're able to look at it, and you have provided the spirit of truth to continue to show us how all of it fits together. There's continuity. There's a spiritual logic to what you have written in your word, and it is is a complete message to us in this age. So we thank you for that. We thank you for those who have joined our study. We pray for each person and their families. Uh, Obviously, we continue to pray for the Myers family every opportunity we get. We just want to lift them up in prayer uh, for the loss that uh, has occurred in their family. And not only their family, but ours as well. Our church family lost a warrior. So, Father, we, we, as we close, we pray that you will bring this again on Sunday so that we can continue in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay.